Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of BFR Radio. Hope you're doing well and hope all your training's going well so far this year. And that I've just finished the small mini series on BFR and knee injuries or how you can use BFR to rehab your knee injuries. I really hope you found that interesting. If there's anything in particular you want me to deep dive a little bit further around BFR, any sort of concepts, please contact me through my socials or alternatively through my website, which is sportsrehab.com.au. Now, today's episode is going to be your questions answered, and it's actually from a gentleman called Mark Ilio. and what I did is I actually got him onto the podcast, and we thought we'd just talk about his current issue or his questions, and then problem solve it on the fly there. So a little bit of background about Mark. He's actually from Victoria in Australia. His day job is in IT, so sitting down quite a lot. And his sports is Masters Track and Field, one of my sports of love, and in particular the 100 and the 200 meters and the occasional 400 meters. And he competes in the 45 to 49 years of age bracket. He holds a Victorian record for the Masters 45 at 60 meters and the Australian record for the M45 indoors at 200 meters. He's quite an accomplished athlete here, Australian champion for the men's 4500 and 200 in 2019, injured in 2020s and injured with his Achilles, which is what we're going to discuss. His PB for Masters is 11.47, which is electronic timing and really cool effort here in 2019 at the World Masters indoors 200 meters. He won a bronze medal at third place. The main question that we're going to focus on here, as I alluded to, was the Achilles tendon. And he has an injury which is limiting his training in his left Achilles, in particular a tendinopathy in the mid-portion. He can run on it, but it flares up if he pushes it too hard. And he wants to compete at the Australian Championships in early March in 2021, which is this year. Now, I've got him online. We're going to hop onto it in a minute. And really what we're going to do is just get a little bit more of a background and just talk about different concepts so here we are with Mark on Your Questions Answered. Hope you enjoy this one. I've been using it for ages. I actually started using it in the UK before it took off. A good mate of mine called Christian Cook, he quite a good sports scientist, and he said, oh, what do you think of this? And that was back in the days when you just used absolute pressures. There was a little bit of science out there, but but you know, you just go, you pump it up to 140 and you train. But now the amount of information out there is quite incredible. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. just taken taken off. Came back to Oz and people kept saying, oh, where'd you get that cuff from? So I remember working with a guy called Butch James. He was a South African 10 rugby union player, had his fifth ACL. And we used it in that and had unreal, like he said, these are the biggest quads I've ever owned. And from that, it just kind of took off. So... You know, I said, well, where do I source this stuff? And then found a buyer in China and this is its second or third iteration, the cuff that you've currently got. Yeah, yeah. Like I saw your presentation this year. We actually met two years ago at the at the last, at the previous in-person uh, ASCA conference. Yeah. And then I didn't actually compete last year because of COVID and so forth. 
And then this year, the Achilles has been annoying me. When I saw your presentation, this is Asuka, I thought, nah, this is too good to be true. I need, I need to check this out. I thought, all right, what's going on? And then I met Greg Mitchell down at the track and he said he's using it with good results. So I thought, well, okay, I need to get onto this. Hopefully it can uh, help me with my Achilles here. And I've got another athlete. He's always getting injured because he's one of these guys who just pushes himself too hard all the time. You can only advise him so much. And the, his his issue is, you know, he, he, he will he will try anything, but he has a condition where his blood can actually carry extra oxygen. And I've been trying to work out what the exact medical name is because he got diagnosed with it maybe three or four years ago and he can't remember the exact scientific name. But it means that he has very, very good results in events that require aerobic conditioning. Um, but he actually runs 400. So he doesn't actually, because his frame is quite a tall He's quite a tall guy, so he doesn't compete in, you know, marathons and so forth. But my concern with him, with advising it for him, is does it necessarily cause any extra risk in terms of blood clots and so forth? Because obviously that would be a concern for him. But So just on that one, mm. if you get the name of it, I can actually go and do a little bit of research. Mm. I do remember there's, there's been a couple of papers looking at the markers that show an increased risk of blood clotting. And of those people who don't have blood clots, and I can't remember what the name of the markers are, but they definitely showed there was no increased risk of these markers of blood clotting, which was pretty good. Using the uh, using the tourniquets? Yeah, correct. Okay, well, that's good. That's good to know. If you have a history of DVT or blood clotting, we don't use it. However, if there is no previous history of clotting or DVT, the use of BFR hadn't shown to increase any risk of any clotting of, of any sort. So what you could do, well, you could firstly get that information. I could do a little bit of research, but one way is actually to use an intermittent protocol as opposed to a continuous protocol. So most of the time we typically say at lower loads, we want to hold the pressure on the whole time. There's actually been quite positive effects using intermittent. So you inflate it, do a set, deflate it, reinflate, and keep going like that. So you only inflate it when under load? Correct, yeah. So I'd probably sell it 30 seconds prior to the start of the set. So you walk around, you start getting that accumulation of metabolites, do your set, and then deflate as well. So you have that increased element of safety with the use of it. As I said, there's two school of thoughts. One is you try to keep it continuous if the, the loads are low, but... Think of it as, as a stress. You have mechanical stress, which is load, is what we typically use, or you have metabolic stress, which is BFR. I look at using BFR as a way of controlling the amount of mechanical stress that we have to load someone with. So if we want to keep the load low or the mechanical stress low, we need lots of metabolic stress popping on top. So we want to be continuous, lots of high repetitions. However, if the mechanical stress is high, so let's just say we start lifting that 50, 60% of RM, we can use smaller amounts of metabolic or BFR load. And then you would use more of an intermittent type protocol. And it's also really hard to lift heavier with a continuous protocol. Right. So the actual, uh, so the actual stresses um, and the metabolites, do we know how they, you know, does it, does it differ in, in the way they impact muscles versus tendons? Typically, they look at markers that are released there's not a lot of information around tendons the markers of tendons but there was a good paper on achilles tendon strength and thickness using just doing calf raises 
so that there's there's a lot of markers that are released and there's a lot of work on muscle and we know that the different pathways that are activated through bfr that are good in high load lifting are also activated in bfr in tendons mm. from memory i don't know of the markers that they actually talk about but there is that one paper that actually showed in healthy tendons that they're actually just using doing calf raises seated and standing with the cuffs on the thighs just doing calf raises you had increase in calf strength but also you had increase in achilles tendon strength but also cross-sectional area so you're actually able to get changes in tendons but the important thing to do is that although you're using a low load of 30% of 1RM, you have to continually keep increasing the mechanical stress. So the 30%, what they did is they kept retesting. So they said, well, let's just say it was a 20 kilo calf raise. It might've went to 22 and a half and then 25. So you're still keeping that external load really low, but you still have to find ways of shifting the total stress in the system. Over time. So you have to periodize it just like any other training protocol. Yeah, correct. Now, in terms of just pure pain, I have found whatever the area is, the results are dependent upon the movement that you do. So we'll take your Achilles, for example. This is a really great example. So when I was at Origin Camp, we had one of the players who said, every morning when I wake up, I'm just stiff in my Achilles and I walk like an old man for like half an hour before everything gets going. So all we did is, this is how simple it was, is you put the cuffs on your thighs, and then I got him just to walk around and then he would do five double leg calf raises and then a five second hold. Cause a lot of evidence out there says with tendons that heavy isometrics are two schools, heavy isometrics or heavy eccentrics are really good for tendons. But I've actually found that in the morning because it's quite hard to find heavy loads. And I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do first thing in the morning is lift a heavy load. Sure. So, Five calf raises, five single leg holds in a normal calf raise hold with a straight leg, hold that for five seconds on both sides, go for another walk and just repeat that three to four times. And then most times, well, this gentleman I'm talking about in particular said, oh, my Achilles feels fine. And then I just got him to do just gentle like ankle mobs or knee over toes. So just get a little bit of a stretch through the calf, the ankle complex, which will stretch the Achilles. And then he says, oh, feels really good. And then away he goes. And I thought time frame, like, was that, did the pain go away instantly after just one session or was it after a number of sessions over a, a few weeks? No, straight away. Straight away. Straight away. Yeah. And some people, it drops a hundred percent out. Some people, it might be, let's just say it's an eight out of 10. It might drop down to a one or a two. Most of the time, a large portion will drop of the pain. will just, just go. So another guy had patellar tendonitis. I've done a case study and I've spoken about him and we did like all traditional isometrics, uh, heavy eccentrics, uh, knee based work still had, you know, had tendon issues with the first set dropped from like an eight down to a two out of 10 second set of doing single leg squats with the cuffs on cause we were working through that knee joint, which was typically painful dropped out totally. Look, it will, it will differ. Yeah, I mean, that is amazing that, that, that the pain, I mean, do they know the, the mechanism that is, that is allowing the pain to just completely switch off? There, there is one paper and a couple of people have asked me, I've got to reread it. I think it's a cannabinoid receptor gets activated, I think. But don't quote me on that one. I'll, I'll have to go do some research and, and release another podcast on that one. But, because it's a good way for me to go and go away and learn. Yeah. A lot of papers report on the decrement in pain. 
Mm. You know, you, we can go down that deep mechanistic pathway, or we can just, you know, like with, with there's a lot of coaches saying, man, it just works. So with you, for example, like if, if you have a lot of Achilles pain, you would have a morning routine and it could be as simple as you put them up in the morning, wash your face, put a pair of shorts on and actually put them on and walk around the house with them. And then just while you're getting your breakfast, you do your incidental exercise. So mm. while you're waiting for the jug to boil, do your calf raises, single leg hold, do three, four sets, take them off. And then what I'd also do is do it before you run. So before your running session, same sort of thing. And the advantage with that potentially is they talk about the concept of ischemic preconditioning. Have you read about no, that? So that's more of a passive methodology where you would sit there and the normal protocol is five minutes on, three minutes off at a really high pressure. And you just sit there passively and it's ischemic preconditioning. And what they actually say is that it increases the mitochondrial carrying capacity of the blood. So therefore it has a performance benefit in aerobic or repeat anaerobic type work. So there's been a lot of evidence around longer running, some sort of lactate buffering type mechanism going on because I've had decrements in lactate, increases in 5K time trial, decreases in repeat sprint, which is quite advantageous. So if you're doing a repeat speed session, that has been shown to actually you have a better performance. Your first run's better and you don't have that as great a decrement. So is, a, is there a lactate buffering component going on potentially? Mm. So you can actually set your sessions up really quite nicely by doing that. And then in your strength training, you just add that into your normal gym sessions. Let's think about it as paracetamol. So they talk about isometric work or heavy isometrics mm. for tendons as paracetamol. So whenever it's sore, you just do your isometrics. Yep. So what we can do now is add the cuffs on and do some strength work, isometric work, and not worry about having that super heavy load. However, what I would suggest is, is then when you go to the gym, you do need to increase total mechanical stress on the system. You, you need to get it stronger, mm -hmm. especially in power, strength, speed, athletes, load is still king. Yep. But what you can do is you can increase the loadings but not go absolutely crazy. And especially, well, like you and I, we're, we would be both masters athletes. So we're not in our early twenties, you know, it's hard loading a lot of weight on our body and on our spine. So we can be a bit more effective, take a few kilos off 10, 20 kilos and actually still get the benefits of the BFR, but the benefits of the mechanical. Yeah, absolutely. Although it's interesting. You, you say we being masters athletes, we need to tone it down a bit. I'm actually lifting more than, much more than when, when I was an open athlete, but, um, probably said that the, the wrong <laughs> way as in like, you get old to, to turn it down. Like, yeah, I just can't rev my body. Like I used to, I still lift my upper body quite heavy, but I, I, I just can't. And, and maybe that's a consequence of, you know, having two young Yeah, kids, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe it's mother. a sleep, but, um, maybe it's a sleep. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Know I mean, yeah. Like I, I think there's, I mean, I suppose this is getting off the topic of BFR, but it, you know, it could, you could probably do a whole other podcast on it. But, you know, my personal view is that if you look at the population as a whole, it's more lifestyle that, that tends to reduce things like aerobic capacity and um, strength and bone density and so forth. If you actually look at Masters athletes, the Masters athletes I've met from my international meets and so forth, I mean, they're all in incredible shape. They're in much better shape than friends and colleagues of mine who are, you know, in the same age bracket but don't. But don't train 
obviously I'm not running as fast as I used to, but I've also I'm also probably carrying extra kilos and stuff like that that might impact it. But anyway, back to the BFR stuff. You reckon in terms of mechanical loading, so the BFR is there to so you're saying you basically still need to have the mechanical loading to, to try to make sure the body is, is reaching those those stresses and strains, but the BFR comes into play to stimulate a certain response in a particular area that will then encourage that area to maybe reduce pain or perhaps release different growth factors into that particular area that then stimulate uh, a beneficial response. Yeah, definitely on the right track. Think about it as a tool to amplify your response. So once again, we normally use heavy loads to stimulate the response, but when you have injuries or issues in different joints, so let's just say you have this tendonitis in your Achilles, you just got to get rid of the pain. And, and obviously if you have pain, it's hard to load the body. So I still feel in the gym, you want to be doing your single leg calf isometric yeah. holds. So I'll be like in a Smith machine or in a calf raise type machine and I'll be holding in that single leg stance phase, heel just like half a centimeter yep. off the ground and, you know, trying to really load the body. So instead of having to go one and a half times body weight on the bar straight away, because it's going to take a long time to get there, you can use BFR slightly longer and a lot less load. Yep. And you just use the BFR on the, like you wouldn't use it on the calf, you'd use it on the actual thigh. So the whole leg is... Use it on the thigh lot safer there's a lot of evidence around distal but also proximal so people talk about oh well will i get changes in my glutes or hamstrings mm. and once again it comes down to the exercise selection so with bfr exercise selection is key i always say that so if you want to have a response in the calf we need to be doing something with the calf so bfr to the region but the actual uh, response will be in the area where the actual exercise is occurring correct yeah because it's really it's a systemic response so when you put the cuffs on and you have all these different pathway activations happening, it's systemic, it's throughout the whole body. Right. What you read in research is, is that it's all about quads or, or biceps for the upper body because that's really easy to do. It's much more easier to control a study that has leg extensions or squats or, or something that's really simple, but we're starting to look at the calf. So, so once again, going back to that study, which showed those really positive changes, just doing standing and seated calf raises nice, really high reps, they actually had real positive changes in the Achilles tendon. So showing that the pathway activation is related, well, it activates the correct responses that we would normally have with the high load loading. Once again, in the morning, we want to get our bodies going when we get prepped for the day. So that's when we use low loads, just, just get it going. And you could almost, if you had, you know, talk about this hormonal response as well with the body. So one way to potentially offset our natural decline in our anabolic hormonal performance markers, which is like testosterone is a great one. So in the morning, testosterone is nice and high, decreases throughout the day. Uh, you can actually offset that slightly by having a, a stimulus in the morning. Exercise is typically better and it also varies day to day. So if you wake up and you might be on a low T day, it could actually help acutely elevate it. But also what it may do, it's you can only test this by actually analyzing through saliva or blood, is you could potentially offset the natural decline throughout the day. So you think about when you're competing now, that this concept of hormonal priming is quite big. If we can offset that decline of hormones throughout the day, 
you think about when your finals are on yeah. when you're racing it's usually in the afternoons or the mm -hmm. evenings so you could prime your body or prime your hormones so you're in a much better state for the competition in the afternoon but more so like you set your body up for the day achilles feels really good you do your day mm -hmm. at work you come to training it might be like oh it's a bit stiff because i've been sitting down get it going mm -hmm. again you may potentially have some sort of I don't know if you have a direct ischemic preconditioning effect, but I think you'd have a better start to your warm up. And whether that's because you've got no pain or whether there's like you are activating the correct hormonal pathways, which correlate really well to performance, who knows? And then when you go into the gym, we want to get you really strong. We want to get that, you know, those heavy eccentrics, we want to get the heavy isometric calf work, but to help get you there quicker or to help get a really positive response or positive change within the tendon without having to put silly loads on mm. our body, we can take our time to get there and know that we're actually going to get a really good total stress effect in that area. Yeah, yeah. Mm, fantastic. Do you, do you remember over what time frame it took? I think it was about 12 weeks. Yeah, so tendons take a longer time yeah. to respond. Whereas you can see quick changes in muscle, you know, usually within four weeks, but I think, you know, obviously around three months, which kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, of course, yeah. But I think the big thing is breaking that cycle of pain mm. and being able to increase strength. And also the advantage of doing BFR is I'm talking about a lot of sessions now. It's almost like a morning routine and a pre-running routine is that because the load is just your body weight, we're actually not adding any external load when you're doing your calf raises and your holds is that you can actually do high frequency training and you at the time you go oh that feels feels quite full you can feel the fatigue but as soon as you take it off and you walk around most times within half an hour you've forgotten that you've actually yeah. done it uh, which, which is quite nice as well so you can actually continually get that really nice stimulus through your achilles a couple of times a day so they do would be to do you know multiple times per day yeah definitely and in terms of the, the actual setup, do you need to have a, have a knowledge of, of what your actual blood pressure is or can you just take a ballpark in terms of the actual, you know, uh, you, you were saying that for pre-ischemic conditioning, you'd go quite a heavy pressure load, or, or almost 100% for pre-ischemic, but for when you're loading it with, say, you know, an exercise, you go at a lower pressure level? Yeah, evidence in papers, they go close to 100% of occlusion pressure. Myself, I wouldn't go that high i'd probably go up to 80 percent more from a pure safety factor because most of the time i'm not with you and yeah. look i've actually had people do it at their calculated 50 percent of arterial pressure and had a perceived performance effect and most of the time they would say well yeah my warm-up felt better or my first reps felt better or my times were better and that's the markers so it's a real practical response with that so limb circumference is your major guiding factor Obviously, the bigger yeah. the thigh, the more pressure that you need. Yeah. And so limb circumference, blood pressure does make a difference because that will fluctuate a little bit from person to person. But your, your major one is, is your limb circumference. And I've got a couple of guides yeah. on that spreadsheet. Yeah. You want to take as many factors into consideration when calculating your pressure guide. And for lower body would use 50% of arterial occlusion because it's a slightly wider cuff. So if you use some other brands like Katsu, for example, is quite a thin band and you'll need a higher percentage of arterial occlusion. So sometimes when you read a research paper and they'll go, they use 220 mils of mercury and you go, well, that's, that's a lot, but I'm only using 150. You got to have a look at how wide the cuff is as the well. The actual cuff is. 
Right. Yeah. So mine's about a 10 and a half centimeter cuff. So it's a little bit more comfortable. So you don't have to go to such a high yep. pressure. So yeah, I incorporate the blood pressure into the calculation. And then there's lots of cross checks that you can do. So if you have a look, I've got like a nice grid, which says that round about that if you're at a certain limb circumference, it should be around pressure X and, and so forth. Yeah, fair enough. Just one last question. In your presentation, you talked about sprinting. Would you say your cuffs would be the kind of things you, the guys were doing actual uh, sprinting reps with, with cuffs on? More tempo type running would suit. So you think about stress. So when you're sprinting flat out, that's a high stress as opposed to tempo, which is obviously a lot more moderate. And you'll also find that you'll cope with it quite nicely doing tempo runs. But I know of a few football clubs that use it for tempo runs on their easier days. And I've heard of different podcasts of people using that as well for tempo 100 to 150 meters. Just on the thigh and do a few tempo runs. Yeah, and... yeah, see how it goes. Definitely. And so like I have a dodgy knee before I had my second op, I was actually doing some easy efforts running on a treadmill or just, I don't sprint anymore, but some easy run throughs on the grass. I had it on and like my money felt so good. You know, it felt really nice. So we start to look at when you're using high repetitions. So tempo runners would be high repetitions. You could be doing that and actually be using it for different energy system requirements as well. So if you're finding that having that feeling of fullness or that lactate production, but you don't actually have to belt your body as hard to get that. That would be quite interesting that I haven't heard of any academic studies looking at that, which would be interesting on its own, but there's actually been just using it in running. There's been improvements in VO2 and in fitness and in, and in actual sprint results or sprint performance. Yeah. It'd be interesting to uh, just incorporate it. I don't know, even once a week into some of my sessions, just to see, um, you know, have an extra running session. You know, maybe not, maybe not a flat out session, but linking into the high frequency training concept to try and just get an extra easier session in there. Yeah. Be lo looking forward to uh, incorporating it. Yeah. I would use that as one of your easy sessions. So you do all your high intensity sessions. And so how can you keep your easy session as an easy session without having that huge stress on the body? Because I think when we train, we want to make every session that we do really effective so when we have an easy session, how can we still get a physiological benefit out of it without putting the stresses on the joints or on the attachments or the different junctions and so forth? So I think that's where you would use it. So I'm going to do my, my easy tempo runs today. It might be just roll throughs over 100 with walk back. Most of the time, it's more of that restorative type session. We could do that restorative type session, but potentially get physiological benefit as well, which is just an interesting concept. Yeah, absolutely. So basically I'll, I'll look at incorporating it into the Achilles. Yeah. So Achilles rehab, and then, you know, we, we've discussed a few different ways to use it. So basically, yeah, the, the, the mornings. Get yourself going. Yep. Yep. Pre-training. Pre-training at rest or high pressure to simulate that response in the gym when you're actually doing the calf raises so that you don't have to start using such heavy weights and in running as a tempo run to try and stimulate the body to a, a greater response at lower stress when running. Correct. That's the one. Beautiful. Nice framework. Fantastic. It sounds great, Chris. I try to have, hopefully simplify it for you and then obviously keep in contact and then we'll, um, we'll see how you go. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for the, thanks for the chat. It was great to uh, chat to you again. Hopefully yeah, we can definitely. catch up in person at some point. Yeah, we look forward to that. Indeed. 
Hope you enjoyed that short segment there. As you would have realized there, we were talking about other concepts within Mark's training about how to incorporate high load training and then using BFR at certain times. And it's really more about just using BFR solely for that one purpose. You know, we spoke about using it for ischemic preconditioning, using it potentially as for hormonal priming, but also maybe using it for tempo type running when you need an easier session, but you still want a physiological benefit. If you do have your own questions, please contact me at my socials, which is at Chris Cavillio or through my website at sportsrehab.com.au. If you don't have your set of cuffs, you can buy it from my website. And if you do have your questions, once again, on anything around BFR, I'm really happy to answer it. If you have things that you want me to cover in my other article reviews, I'm happy to chase it up for you as well, because I think if that question's on your mind, the question's probably on someone else's. Once again, thanks for your time. If you do like this, make sure you share it with other people and remember to give it a ratings on iTunes. Thanks for listening and remember to keep the pump.